so we're done with stanza one and I thought I would just do a little personal interpretation or an or analysis of this first stanza before moving on to the second I found a I, I found it very surprising that while trying to memorize these poems they've really opened up to me in a way that I didn't think possible when I read them the first time just the repetition going over and over and over again trying to get them memorized and put into my head really makes me identify what words may mean something contextually even if I don't understand the meaning of a word because some some of these words are uh, pretty antiquated or at least they're unfamiliar to myself but just repeating these lines over and over and over again has really helped to open up at least what I see as the meaning of these poems. And given the focus of this poem, as far as I understand it, um, is just, it's a, it's a distillation of, in poetic form, of the argument that Tolkien gave to C.S. Lewis in order to really explain the difference between literal interpretations and mythological interpretations and how myth points towards real existence and truth so en enough of that i make it i may get back into that um as i go on in this podcast but let's start looking at the lines so the the first line we you know what, let's start with the dedication. To one who said that myths were lies, and therefore worthless, even though breathed through silver. So I assume that's what C.S. Lewis said to Tolkien. And uh, he says that myths are lies, and therefore worthless. Obviously in our modern day, someone like Jordan Peterson has really helped to... Um, make people aware of the truths and, as Jung would say, the archetypes, the distillation of phenomena in our world that we create these forms around. And myths are the embodiment of that, dis that distillations. They are the essence, or hopefully, if, if, if it's a good myth, it is the essence of truths writ broad um, if you want to look at this kind of in a, in a platonic way we see shadows of the archetype in our lives and that's why archetypes are are, are, are interesting to a very wide range of people because they feel a connection with it they see the essence of their own experience and it's not the the closer it is to your own experience the more interesting it is i would assume but these are broadly attractive to people and that says something so they're breathed through that they're breathed through silver and that just means that they sound good essentially probably um 
And I, I've always wondered if there's a connection between something sounding good and it, and it actually being good. I know in the Lord of the Rings, uh, Frodo says to Strider when he first Strider when he first when he first meets him, "You look foul and feel good," something like that. And he says the servants of the enemy look good and feel foul. So <laughs> maybe that's uh, against what I just said, but I, I, I wonder if there's something to be said about rhythm and rhyme, uh, harmony in music, if that kind of reflects some type of truth uh, about beauty and coherence. Okay, so I shouldn't take so long. I should probably move on with this. You, you look at trees and label them just so. For trees are trees, and growing is to grow. So I think what he's saying here is that we, we have these concepts in our lives that we've kind of lived by our whole lives, and we're just so familiar, and we've repeated them so often that we think we truly understand something like a tree. And he's going to reply to that later on in this poem. So I think I'll leave the interpretation of kind of what he's setting up here until later, and we'll definitely talk about that. Next line. You, you walk the earth and tread with solemn pace, one of the many minor globes of space. So in Tolkien's day, It, it, it had already been on, underway for a long time, but in Tolkien's day, there was really this movement towards a, towards a rational, objective, modernistic view of the universe. And someone like C.S. Lewis writing the discarded image, he kind of identifies what we've lost by giving up that mythological or imagery-based, pattern-based thinking of the Middle Ages. So he's saying, you walk the earth and tread with solemn pace, one of the many minor globes of space. So when we walk on earth, we're not amazed, we're disillusioned. And when, when there was still illusion in the world, things seemed more magical. He's going to go on in this poem and talk of elves and dragons. Now, are those real things to us as modern people? Most people would probably say no, and they wouldn't really think about it. Think about those things in any serious way. But back in the, mi back in the Middle Ages, those were very serious entities. And they symbolized a, a lot of things. But they were also real to them. So now we're disillusioned, we're kind of solemn, and this globe that we're walking on is just a minor one that is one of billions, trillions in the, in the universe. Okay, next line. A star's a star, some matter in a ball compelled to courses mathematical. Yeah, so kind of just repeating that. Compelled to courses mathematical, so it's predictable. And hence, we don't think anything can really surprise us. 
and that can lead to a bit of hubris as the Greeks would say I, I don't like the word pride it's just been kind of corrupted and bastardized with <laughs> interpretations from Ayn Rand and simplistic interpretations of Christianity and then pride movements nowadays and the self-esteem movements of 90s and early 2000s but I'll leave that up so it's mathematical we think we know what's going on next line amid the regimented cold inane where destined atoms are each moment slain so it's a nature nature written nature red and tooth and claw I think is the quote it's kind of what he's saying here is just it's a brutal existence but it's mathematical so it's cold it's not even this hot-blooded violence of like Nietzsche that provides growth and interest and a dynamic existence this is mathematical it's predictable, it's cold, it's in, it's it's inane and regimented. And these are destined atoms. So they we can't do anything about that. They're they're going to be slain. And this not might that this might not mean oblivion. It's, nature cannot be created nor destroyed. But that's not what he's talking about. Okay. So, um that's the first stanza, and as soon as I'm ready, I will be doing the second stanza, so. I do these in different, by the way, I do these in different episodes, because I don't think everyone's, everyone is going to be in, interested in my personal interpretation of these. So if you want to just listen to the poem, I completely understand that. I, I'm probably rambling, and it's taken me a while to even get through this one stanza, so. If you want to listen to the poem, just listen to the poem. And if you want my personal interpretation of what I'm reading, then listen to these extra these extra episodes. I'll find some clever title for them. Alrighty, see you next time.